Welcome everyone to the first po- first podcast of A Woman's Place. Um, we are going to be looking at social and historical lie and political lives of Ireland's women. Um, so uh, my name is Tina and this is... I'm Sarika. Hi. <laughs> and Sarika is the historical expert here. So I'm basically going to just be um, picking her brains probably through this entire thing and... Uh, putting my gross overgeneralizations to everything. So um, today's subject, we are talking about the Tampax ad controversy that happened recently. Um, I'm sure a lot of you um, in Ireland are going to be familiar with it. For anyone who's listening outside of Ireland, it was a Tampax ad that was... Um, it was aired... Um, and it kind of featured a light heart discussion in TV studio setting on how to use tampons. So it was kind of two women sitting down talking about common problems that people have with mm-hmm. tampons um, in a very, very light hearted manner. Uh, and it didn't really cause much uh, consternation in the zeitgeist until it was revealed that the Advertising Standards Authority of Ireland uh, received over 100 complaints about it. Mm-hmm. And 83% of those complaints came from women. Yeah. I think the there was one, I watched it recently again, and I think the thing that caused like the controversy was in it they go, and not just the tip, up to the grip. You gotta get them up there, girls. You gotta get them up there, girls. You gotta get them up there, girls. So it was this... Um, this language. This language. So actually, we're just going to... I'm just going to read one of the complaints here. Yeah. Uh, they found the language to be vulgar, embarrassing and crude. And another person said that the language was over-descriptive, inappropriately expressed, with excessive detail. One other complainant said that the advert was demeaning and belittled women by implying they might be ignorant on how to use tampons correctly. Yeah, and I also thought what was really interesting about it was, uh, like for me, was the the part where they said, oh, well, girls might be sitting down with their fathers or brothers and they it might cause them embarrassment. So that to me is re- really interesting. So we're going to get into the language used in this um, in a minute and about the, basically because it's inter- internalized shame um, f- uh, uh, from women to other women, by women, for women. That's like shame. By women, for women. Tampacks. You know, something like that. So actually, we're just going to touch on uh, a little br- brief like history for y'all um, uh, because in this podcast we'd like to remember women that have kind of been forgotten in um, our own educations or in start or international education so the person we're remembering today is um, Mary Kenny who was an African-American woman from North Carolina who invented the pad belt which would be the precursor to our modern pad today mm-hmm. she invented it in 1956 um, and there was a company that showed great interest in her patent they backed out after they realized she was african-american the first tampon with an applicator was invented in 1933 and it was sold to a woman who actually eventually started Tampax. Mm-hmm. So the tampon came before the pad belt, which I think is very interesting because previous to that, women would have used 
newspaper, straw, mm-hmm. um, rolls of cotton if they could afford it and would have made their own little pads or made their own tampons. Yeah. Uh, which obviously is very unhygienic and very dangerous. Yeah. Um, tampons took a real turn um, then, in especially in America, around toxic shock syndrome. And they were kind of reimagined to what we interpret today to be a modern tampon. Yeah. So that's that's quite interesting there. Um, it wasn't until 1976 that they were actually changed from a cosmetic device to a medical device, of which they are neither. Neither. <laughs> I'm just going off to get my cosmetics to beautify myself with some tampons. Um, I, I, I We didn't discuss this, but I'm just going to um, make a footnote here, point of intersection which we will discuss in a, at the end of the podcast. Um, Mary Kenny from North Carolina. And who was the other person? Oh, yes, we wanted to talk about Sally, the 100 tampon woman. She was plugging her ears, her nasal cavities. She was putting them between her fingers, so apparently. <laughs> Sally Ride was the first American woman in space. Um, and what a trailblazer for so many women in STEM. And she was asked in 1983 by NASA engineers whether 100, yes, you heard me correctly, 100 tampons was enough for her to go for a week into space. I don't know what they thought she was doing with the yeah, tampons yeah. for one week, 100. How was she going to get any work done on the space station between inserting and taking <laughs> out all of these tampons? I don't know. Yeah, like, did, did they think that she was just going to be like, it was just going to be litres? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I mean... That she was going to flood the entire space station if Jesus she didn't have 100 Christ. tampons. Like, yeah. And I think this, like... At the end, we're going to talk about a little bit about sex education and sex education with men. And I think that this is a perfect example of the lack of um, education. It's not even sex education. What do you call this? Body education? Yeah, just like social and personal education. Yes, around um, around menstruation. menstruation. And sex in general. And sex in general, yeah. Um, so, the brief synopsis. So, a brief synopsis of the... Um, of the TV ad uh, you've already heard. And um, we wanted to kind of think about why, like why were so many of the complaints from women, 83% of them were from women, and that's that's the overwhelming majority. And um, Christina kind of noted that um, th- would these complaints have triggered kind of a shame in women? Like, yeah, this- I think... Yeah, the, the, uh, I don't know if you've heard this, will I play it? Yeah. I have yeah. something to say. And what I have to say is this, is first of all, the, the, the complaints that weren't upheld around things like it was full of sexual innuendo. Do you know what? I totally get that to most men, a vagina, and I'm going to say that word so many times today because I, I, I'm a bit irked, is a sexual thing. But do you know what? To the body that I live in and the body that 51% of the population live in that is female, it's just a bit of our body. And in fairness, it does other things too. We give birth through it. We menstruate through it. It bleeds. It sits there. It does, you know, it's like, like having an elbow. OK, so we have vaginas and they do stuff and it isn't all about sex. So suggesting that anything to do with the vagina is sexual, that's not the female perspective. OK, uh, 
to me, what this says and the reason that I am concerned about this is, is that the only reason that this ad was taken down and 84 complaints is not that many in a population of, of six odd million nearly. I, I, I don't really like the ASAI taking it down. Is It's to do with shame. It's to do with shame about women's bodies. And let me say this. We have the lowest breastfeeding uh, rates in the Western world because our boobs are sexualized. And, and even though they're actually designed to feed our babies, that's disgusting. We aren't allowed to have this ad by the way goes out in the UK every day and no one cares but here in Ireland we can't talk about it because our vaginas are sexualised and we can't talk about having periods in fact the ASAI say that they they don't like to have these kind of ads about tampons if there's going to be people under 18 looking at them we get our periods at about the age of 11 or 12 some girls get them at the age of 9 are they not supposed to find out about them and think of them as normal for another 11 years like what is this what is this and I, I don't know what to say about it other than it is an old anachronistic throwback in Ireland that we might be all liberal and we might repeal the eighth and we might vote for this that and the bloody other but there is an inherent shaming of women still in this country and if that ad for tampons talking about putting a tampon into your vagina offends you well half of us are doing it all the time I'm not wearing one at the moment lads but I wear one sometimes and I don't care Kira Kelly did this thing about the Tampax ad and she addressed men in it when she did. And I thought it was useful, but actually inaccurate to do that. But um, yeah, I felt that actually the reaction to the complaints was in itself kind of problematic because whilst we want to be like, oh my God, this is ridiculous. Um... How dare you, like, um, try and shame us for having periods, blah, 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 blah. We're really not understanding why these women specifically made those complaints and why they feel compelled to make those complaints in the first place. Like, I think that we have to understand the kind of women who would have been looking at this and their backgrounds. And those people would have been deeply shamed in their early lives and education and um, whatever, you know. Um, so these women were partic- were potentially extremely triggered by watching this advert. Like it was a deeply shameful experience. And I think when we think about like mental health issues, I think there's a huge problem around mental health issues. We think like the sad lad in the corner, being sad, drinking is mental health issues but mental health issues are also people who are abusive people who um abuse others are also mentally unwell and one type of abuse is shame and if someone is shame what they will often do is they will externalize their shame and um we i think we were quite we were shaming of women for being shame yeah so these a lot of these women who complained I am going to take a punt and say that a lot of them were over the age of 30. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to think that too many of those complaints came from young women, millennials or Gen Z or whatever you want mm-hmm. to call them. I, I think the vast majority of them came from older women. It'd be so interesting to see the demographics. Yeah, um, They didn't release the, the age demographics, but I, I would assume that, that a, a, quite a lot of them came from older women. And, and a part of that is because 
they themselves were shamed growing up. They were shamed either through overt shame, like don't talk about that, we don't talk about that, mm-hmm. or through kind of hidden shame, which is just nobody mentioned it ever. Yeah. And so they just assumed that this was something to be shameful about and the world around them reinforced that shame. Yeah. The idea that going to a chemist to buy pads or tampons is something that you have to be secret about and yeah. whisper to the pharmacist that you want them. Yeah. And and that in and of itself creates a culture and an aura of shame around periods. Yeah. And even I'm sure you as a teenager would have gone to a shop and asked them the girl behind the thing would, or the lad behind the shop would have put it into a brown paper bag for you. Yeah. You know, I mean, you have to cons- I think we have to consider what still exists in us today is like a historical record of the kind of shame that really went along. So I, I kind of want to approach the tampox ad with a bit of camp uh, compassion for these women who, in my opinion, were sexually abused by this entire country. And it's not just it's not just Ireland. I mean, obviously, with our Catholic background and the church having so much power in Ireland, there is a lot of shame put on women. But it is an international. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a it's not just confined to Western or um societies. It's it's an entire world thing that women. From the minute you hit puberty, you are taught to hide what's happening to you. Right, yeah. Um, and we see this actually in language that's used around menstruation. So in Ireland, you'd say, people might say things like, oh, the painters are in, Aunt Flo is Painter here. Painter is in. We used to say, oh, Uncle or Tom is around. Tom is here. Then there's kind of... Why a, was your period a man? I suppose, like, yeah, obviously, the thing that annoys you life, like, and wrecks your life definitely is a man. But what? That, did you say the painters yeah, are Yeah, the in? painters are in would be common enough. Um, on the rag is one that I don't like. Rotten. Yeah, Ew. but it, it's used a lot, but I really don't like it. Yuck. But there was a study conducted by the International Women's Health Coalition that found that there are 5,000 slang words used to refer to menstruation, and they, they surveyed 10 different languages. Um, and obviously we have our ones in English, but in other countries they use ones like in Denmark, they say the communists are in the gazebo, <laughs> which I quite like. The French say that the British army have landed because the British used to wear red coats. Oh, lol. Yeah, um, okay. And the I Japanese, I don't know why, if anyone here speaks Japanese, maybe you could help us. They, The Japanese say Matthew Perry has arrived. Why? I don't know. The arrival of Matthew Perry or Matthew Perry has arrived. I can't think of anything that Matthew, Matthew Perry, Perry was ever in that would be red or bloody. Like he was in Friends. Like Matthew Perry has arrived. I actually have a friend who lives in Japan and Masaska. Yes, definitely. Um, yeah, why? Yeah, that's bizarre. But what's really interesting is that like as as hominids, we have menstruated for millennia. millennia. What's, what's that word now? We're going to learn a lot of things, kids. And one, a lot of the things we're going to learn, not from me, but from Circa, about crazy words like... Hominids. Hominids. Hominids are our earliest human ancestors. So they're our cousins to the monkeys, basically. They're, okay. they're the first humanoids that stood on two feet and walked around um, and started to lose the fur and, and lose the hair and become what we would consider today to be looking like a human. Mm-hmm. And obviously, all mammals menstruate. So those mammals menstruated as well. Um, and And before... We lived in civilizations, towns or cities or even small tribes. We usually just lived in family units. And, you know, everybody knew women menstruated. It wasn't a big deal. And in some hunter-gatherer societies today, it still isn't a big deal at all. It's actually seen as women being powerful because it's the one time of the month where you can say, sorry, 
no to your husband or whoever. Get away from me. Or whoever it is. That Come here, boy. That you're, Get away from me. That that manky lad of yours. Get away. <laughs> exactly. Like, no, I'm there, on my period. I used to use that so much. I'd be like, oh, I'm sorry. No, I'm gone. No, not Now, that today. was not a good relationship, to be fair. If I was just like, no, 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 no. And I'd, 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 I'd string it out for a few extra days just to give myself some Extra peace. long this month. Sorry about oh, that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Three years now it's been going on. <laughs> It's funny though because like there are rock carvings from fifty thousand years ago that that depict menstruation fifty thousand years. So if you're putting it in a rock carving, you're not ashamed of it. Mm. You're not scared to to draw or carve this woman um bleeding be, because if you if it was something to be shameful of in your society, they wouldn't have done it. Yeah. So I think that's really really interesting that where um where did it come from like when did we start turning around and saying wait no that's not something powerful that is now something shameful yeah and I would argue that it started when we began living in larger groups of people Mm -hmm. so um maybe just before the last just after the last ice age about 12 to 10 thousand years ago is when we really started moving in big big groups um and I think that that is when the shame would have started coming in and why do you think why do you think that I think that um because it was something that women had done um there is a sociologist called professor chris knight who's quite well versed in the kind of shame around menstruation um and he says that essentially what happened was women had the power during menstruation they would withhold sex from men Mm -hmm. um and men would usually go i have the power exactly they would withhold sex from men and this would kind of get the men amped up like oh, same. I just want the yeah. vagina. It's, oh. it's kind of almost the same as you'd hear some boxers today saying that you shouldn't have sex before a fight, that you yeah. should let that kind of masculine testosterone energy build up inside you. And women would do this as a way to basically withhold sex so that the men would go hunting. The men would go out and they would catch some saber-toothed tiger or some mammoth or ain't no man catching a fucking saber-toothed tiger like no way <laughs> they were getting it. rabbits like lame ones okay <laughs> they weren't in no way they're making that much of an effort i'm sorry like so essentially what would happen is the men would return with food and wait so buy... they weren't getting food out the rest of the month no they were they they usually i'm starving and... i have to bleed for you to get me fucking they'd usually eat a combo this is very early humans now we're talking about it they'd, they'd okay. usually eat a combination of uh, raw meat and cooked meat okay um and they didn't have the ability to salt meat like we would today yeah. or obviously no refrigeration so it would kind of be um it, it would early humans didn't eat every day they that's that's why we today even don't need to eat every day yeah you'd be hungry but like you're not going to die the human body can go without food for 60 days you know so the women would withhold sex the men would go hunting and usually it would be a hunting party it wouldn't be like they'd be gone for one day and come back they'd be gone for a number of days Mm -hmm. and when they came back the women would reward them in a way with sex yeah they would be finished their periods um which would have been shorter back then and more in sync with the moon Yes. And so the the light of the new moon would allow for better hunting at night and the women would be in kind of sync with that. And then what would happen would be the the women, the men would return and the women would be like, hey, you got food. (laughs) And then they'd have sex. Yeah. And this kind of basically meant that um, hunts were linked with menstruation. So men saw menstruation as a positive. They were like, okay, so that's going to happen this week. We're going to go hunting. And when we come back, we're just going to have a big orgy, essentially. <laughs> oh my God, do you think that that's what they were doing in like Drumbeg? 
Oh God! What? As in, like they used to be like oh, jump the, like stone circuit. You no. Know? Yeah, it's it's not it's not an impossible thing to think about because those kind of stone circles that you see around Ireland and in parts of England, particularly in Scotland um, and the Orkneys, you see these as big ritualistic sites. Mm-hmm. And it would not surprise me if they were sacrificing animals, um, either live animals or they were sacrificing. Because there there's um a vat there, and yeah. I remember I was there with my friend, who was just like. People did not live here. I was like, how do you know? He was like, meh. No, no, these are not like dwellings. And he was just very, I'd have to ask him now again what he meant by it. But like, he was just like, this was a spiritual site. Like, as yeah. in, this is not where just they willy nilly were just like camped out. No, people and didn't, people didn't drag stones, you know, like dozens of kilometers from where they lay and, and, and dig holes and put them upright just to live in them yeah they they were big big group efforts you know when you talk about the stone circles um and kind of neolithic um uh, stonework you know we obviously think of newgrange like newgrange would have taken three generations yeah. of people to build so you your father and your grandfather all worked on on it and you don't do that because the king asked you to. But you know what I mean? Like, this you is do what it we're for, missing. You do it for society, a spiritual though, reason. Like, you know, like, we're like, we don't have any project that we're all working on. No. And you it, know? it banded them together and there would have been huge rewards around it, you know. And there would have been, um, family family groups would have just lived around those kind yeah. of places until they were built. And once they were built, then you'd usually have a chief or a king or um, in, in the case of, of, of Ireland, early Ireland, we would have had the Re and the Aestona who would have said, like, this is our site and what we're going to do here is usually religious and ceremonial. Yeah. So um, what what became very interesting then is um, when humans then began living in bigger groups mm-hmm. and this kind of traditional rhythm of work and play was disrupted by the fact now that you're... Um, living in one place, you're not moving around, and usually you'd have the men were still hunting and the women were gathering. Mm-hmm. Um, what's a really interesting point as well there to say is a lot of people think that men were hunters because they're bigger and stronger. Mm-hmm. Actually, no, men were hunters because they're expendable. Mm-hmm. Women stayed at home and gathered because uh, women are able to produce um, children. Yeah. And so you can't risk them going out hunting because if too many women die, you will have no next generation. Yeah. If all of the men die bar one, you're all right. You're all right. Yeah. So that's why why men went out to hunt. But but what happened was essentially hear that boys. <laughs> what happened was um after that traditional work play rhythm was kind of disrupted. Professor King Knight tells us that um in many places, in order to prevent the whole system from collapsing, men started their own menstruation. And I know that sounds men crazy. Straight exactly. men straight. Um, and that's where straight men came from. Men straight straight men. Pretty much. Yeah. So um, Facts. Professor Knight says that they essentially began ritualizing uh, blood. So they would cut their penises, they would cut their ears, their nose, their arms, and they would bleed together in a kind of ceremonial way of maybe contacting their gods mm-hmm. or um, offering the gods the blood to say, like, I did something bad or I'd like you to do something for me. So mm-hmm. this is what I'm giving you. And this would have led to um, a men's hut, a big. Why can't we have anything? I know. You won't let us have anything. No, just, you can't even just let us have periods. No, they wanted it for themselves. Fuck. 
So they began to build temples and they began to go into these temples all together, men, not women. And they began to uh, ritualistically cut themselves. They would have, um, it would be very smoky in there. There would be chanting, there would be drumming. Um, is this, uh, just to pause, is this in any way related to the blood of Christ? Um, no, probably not. Like drinking Jesus's blood in the, in the church together. So what's kind no. of interesting about that is... Um, with like transubstantiation which is mm-hmm. the drinking of Jesus's blood and uh, we can't I couldn't definitively link it to this idea of the kind of um new men stration huts mm-hmm. because they would have massively predated Christianity yeah, fair, fair. let's um, not get into it so yeah, yeah, yeah so basically Knight believes that this is what is at the crux of all of the world's patriarchal religions and he says wherever you find these temples and churches in Judaism Christianity or Islam they are men's huts male controlled and dominated and that is where our patriarchal religions come from this is the seed this is the seed for our patriarchal religions precisely so we we all know um that judaism is one of the oldest world world's oldest religions about six thousand years old Mm -hmm. christianity is about two thousand years old and islam was founded around the year 600 okay so we're still talking like you know a thousand five hundred years at least um, and they began in this male-dominated temple or hut. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, as we all know, um, religion isn't usually particularly kind to women, um, particularly in in the case of sex or periods. Mm-hmm. Um, and our three kind of Abrahamic religions, which are all interlocking and have and share things in common, um, all three of them say have have verses about periods you are not period in the house you must go to the heart to period like that um and not there was exactly a not exactly um okay so what what is that so um when you talk about say the torah which would be one of the the oldest uh, religions um oldest patriarchal religion there are religions older than than judaism but just for the purpose of this year we're going to talk about the torah which says when a woman has her regular flow of blood, the impurity of her monthly period will last seven days and anyone who touches her will be unclean until evening. You're an unclean woman. Yeah, essentially. So um, even today, Orthodox Jewish women uh, go to a mikvah, which is a ritual bath, um, and they immerse themselves in the bath after their periods are finished or in some days, in some cases, a week after their periods are finished. So that means that for two weeks they are unclean until they go to the mikvah. I mean, right. OK, I love this idea that you have to go and get cleansed in the bath. But I wish it wasn't like to do with like being unclean. You know what I mean? Like shame. It's just like, oh, I get rewarded for being on my period. And like just switch it up a small bit. And it's just a, an amazing thing. Yeah. But no, it's associated with shame. Like that's. Yeah. Like, um, And on top of that, like Orthodox Jewish women don't sleep in the same bed as their husbands during this time. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't they're not even supposed to touch their husbands or any other man. They're supposed to stay very much away from them. Um, we find menstrual taboos in the Quran. So the Quran says, go apart from women during the monthly course. Do not approach them until they are clean. Um, Islam is a lot more kind of forgiving, if I can even use that word, of women and their periods. So unlike um, the, the the Jewish religion, um, Muslim women aren't seen as dirty or needing to be um 
cleansed after they mm-hmm. have their periods, but they are exempt from fasting in Ramadan um, and they are exempt from and can be exempt from prayers. Uh, but they and, and they're not expected apart from the usual kind of uh, modesty that they that they would preserve by not touching men outside of their family. Um, they can touch men within their family um, during a period, whereas mm-hmm. um, Jewish women wouldn't be allowed to do that. Um, and then obviously we have, which is most prevalent in Ireland, we have the Bible. Yeah. And uh, Leviticus in, in uh, sets out um, some rules for, for Christian women, which is um, in her menstrual impurity, she is unclean. Whoever touches shall be unclean and shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Imagine imagine so you what can't that actually touch. looks like and then you have to like run away and clean yourself yes yeah, so you can't touch a, a woman um now leviticus treats menstruation and ejaculation as the same with regards to being unclean but as always the the, the one that applied to men just kind of fell by the wayside and it was yeah. really only the one that applied to women that they held on to this is this is an interesting um thing when i was talking about <clears throat> the conflation of periods or se- and sex like the the that equality there of ejaculation and menstrual menstrual blood is interesting. Yeah, so Leviticus would count them as the same and early Christians would probably have counted them as the same um, if they could read, which was unlikely. Um, But they, they... it, it it's again going back to this whole male dominated temple like if the men were in charge of the temple before christianity they're damn sure going to be in charge of the temple after yeah. christianity and they're not going to let something silly like leviticus telling them not to ejaculate <laughs> um they're not going to take that very seriously uh christianity's condemnation of menstruation comes in part that um that it's that it's women's um curse for what eve did yeah Eve ate that apple and she shouldn't have ate that apple. Why couldn't she just leave that temptation behind her? The dirty bitch. This 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 is the punishment. um, This was obviously a learned thing and I don't know why we did it, but in front of our school we had a statue of Mary and on Mary she had a, like a snake and we sit in the front on on the step of it and then if one of us touched the snake then it was like, oh! You, 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 you have the devil in you. You're, you're, you have the devil in you. And then we would run away from that child. So there was five girls, and like we would, we or we'd like force someone's hand on it and be like, oh my god, you touched the devil. Oh my god, you touched the devil. And then we would run away. And then you couldn't like go near that poor child, which was you like often it was me, <laughs> um, for the entire rest of the day. And I like I I wonder where we learned that, but I think it like comes from, I th- you know. This, this, that Eve, you know, yeah, Eve uh, archetype. Ate, yeah, she ate the forbidden fruit from the tree of knowledge, um, tempted by the snake, who God then punished by taking away the snake's legs and making it crawl in its belly for, forevermore. Mm-hmm. But even in, in Genesis, we see that God tells Eve, unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. And thy desire shall be to thy husband and he shall rule over thee. And that was Eve's punishment. Her punishment was menstruation. And it was the fact that she was going to have to suffer to bring a child into this world. And there was no talk of like, what if Eve didn't want to bring children into this world? There was certainly no talk of that. It was that um, you will give birth and it will suck. My favorite part about the Adam and Eve story is Adam is like, she made me do it. She made me do it. 
like so it's like this constant is this it, i mean that's another subject but it's just like the blame is on the woman yeah. you know she made me do it the blame is on the woman yeah um if you were a real yeah. man you would have just said no eve we're not doing that yeah or just you been know? like god i swear like look i'm sorry man I did it, I did it. She gave me some, but I should have said no, but like, do you Can know you not mean? forgive me? Let me stay in the garden No, fuck that one. Like, just give me, like, I have so many more ribs. Make another one. I don't care. Like, it's not a problem. Uh, but yeah. Um, yeah, that's so interesting. And the, like the, I this suppose. This continued though. This continued up until really the 1960s. In yeah. Ireland, until Vatican II. This, this whole idea that you were. Well, I would argue it's still. Yes. It's still, I, I kind of impli- meant, it's still implicitly certainly um, taught us to. Us. I kind of think I kind of think that what I'm referring to there is more the idea that um, up until the 1960s, before Vatican II, women were um, what was referred to as churching. Yes, 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 yes. Women. So the the un the uncleanliness associated with, I suppose there was uncleanliness associated with blood anyway. So, like, as you mentioned, like, Freud, what did Freud say? He said... Yeah, so Freud said that the reason that we don't like periods and that we shame peri- people who have periods is because of our innate human fear of blood. Yeah. Um, now, Freud was an absolute looper. Yeah. But he was the father of modern psychology and his a, a lot of what he said was taken as kind of fact until maybe the 50s and 60s. So you had, you know, 70 years there where Freud was the the be all and end all. Mm-hmm. And if he said that blood was un- impure and that that's why we were afraid of periods, then that's what people would have believed. Yeah. Um, so but the the idea of churching, and I don't know how many uh, people actually know about churching, but churching existed up until what year? 1960s. 1960s. So churching, explain what churching is. So churching um, was a blessing given to mothers. Blessing. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. Um, and an, and, and an, an absolving. And an absolving of your sins. Yeah, because you whore. had sex, you whore. Yeah. Um, so it refers to a blessing um, given to mothers following recovery from childbirth. Usually women would remain at home for four to six weeks after giving birth. That's not unusual in itself. It's something that was very common in Western um, culture and society in general for women mm-hmm. to stay at home um, for four to six weeks. Um, which is actually very dangerous. And nowadays, like you're up and about, they tell you, get up out of that bed, walk around, because lying in bed is not good for you after mm-hmm. you've given birth. But anyway, um, they would remain at home for four to six weeks. Um, basically, I, I think it was to make sure the bleeding stopped. Because if 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 they got churched a day or two days after they, they gave birth, they would still be menstruating. And that, mm. that's kind of not what it was all about. So I they see. waited four to six weeks. Because four to six weeks is also the time that you're told wait wait until you have sex again. Yes, yes, oh it's all God. interconnected. Um, so the woman would go to church where she would thank God for the safe delivery of her child and receive a purification from the priest. Nice. Um, and obviously up to this time, you in in Ireland, you weren't allowed to do anything. So you were home for four to six weeks. You probably taking care of your baby. You were breastfeeding. But apart from that, you didn't do anything. You couldn't go out. You couldn't go to the shop. You couldn't prepare food. You were seen as dirty until um, you were churched. And there have been very few studies done on churching, unfortunately. But testimonies that that were collected in the early part of the 1900s um, talk of women feeling ostracised from everybody until they were churched. Um, and one woman said she was not even allowed to pick up a knife to prepare food as it was believed she would taint the food mm. by being unpure, unclean after having given birth. Yeah, which is just so 
obviously abusive. And for people and who aren't in Ireland, I feel it's important to, 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 to reference that families were big back then. Big, yeah. You're talking, you know, 10, ten children would not be no. unusual at all. So I think my I think my grandmother had between 15 and 20. My grandmother had nine siblings. Nine. Yeah, she yeah. was born in 1922. She had nine siblings. Yeah. So, I mean, that, like, having to be churched essentially once a year, really, for a lot of women, um, or maybe once every two years, you know, you're, you're reliving that kind of shame and stigma again and again and again. Yeah, and this is the, I think this is the, the gaslighting of the, of the church and I suppose the society as well is, like, you're told... You need to have children. You need to have children. But then when you do the thing that means that you can have kids and you have the kid, you're told that you're dirty. So it's like this endless cycle of I'm told I need to do the 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 thing, the, the dirty deed, the Lord's work. The how, how's your father to get pregnant? And then when you do, it's like you dirty bitch I can't believe you got pregnant it's like what the hell yeah and w- like women, pick one but women wouldn't have really referred to pregnancy either until the very last few months of their pregnancy they would have concealed it and it would have been easy to conceal because of the type of clothes that they wore yes. prior to the 1960s yeah, yeah, yeah. they were long they were um loose usually it's mm-hmm. particularly for working women in Ireland they would have worn loose clothing so up until you were six months pregnant you know it wouldn't you wouldn't have shown you wouldn't have been obvious just cooked it up the last three months. Yeah, I, I managed right. to, to do this in the last three months. And what I think is very interesting about that is, um, and I, I think if you speak to anybody who is over the age of 50, they will tell you, especially women um, and some men, definitely, they had no idea what to expect on their wedding night. They were not at all prepared for anything to do with sex because it was just not spoken about. So they were just like going in there like, uh, let's see what we can find. Yeah, essentially. And like where to imagine, put things, like no idea. Imagine like there are women in Ireland alive today who've never had an orgasm. Like, ever. Ever. Yeah. Ever. Because their husband was so shit at sex. Like that hurts me. Like that that cuts me deep. Like that hurts. It does like, you yeah. know. And a big reason is because there was up until 1985 no sex education in Ireland. Yes, yes. Zero. This is, um, so back to the Tampax ad, which is one of the more interesting parts of why they did this ad in the first place. So the, the, the reason they did the ad in the first place, so, you know, when you're a, you're a supermarketer like these people, they would do a survey to see, okay, what should our, marketing be what should we kind of play with with um our audience like what information do they need so they found that 42 percent of women they surveyed didn't know how to use tampons correctly and 79 percent experienced discomfort so that's what so they took those results of that survey and that's when they made the ad and in the ad they ask people oh do you do you experience discomfort? And they say, if you're dis- experiencing discomfort, it's because you are not using it properly. You're not getting it up far enough or whatever. So that's why they made the ad. Because they were like, okay, let's um, educate our consumers as to how to use our products correctly. Now, the issue I have with this, whilst it is a good initiative or whatever, at the end of the day, they're selling a product. A product that is has a, a luxury tax on it, you know, but whatever. Um they shouldn't Why be the ones educating are, 
is a brand educating educating us in the first place like what the hell so um I was just telling Circa about when I was like 12 years of age boys were like tampons and we were like yeah tampons because I don't know in my circle of friends having your period was like this whole like thing it was like did you get your period yet did you get your period and everyone was like racing to get their period I think when you're kind of hitting puberty you're it's particularly if you go to an older girls school which a lot of, of us did in Ireland mm-hmm. it's like a competition between all of them like who gets it the earliest like who yeah. gets it the latest who's got boobs who's got underarm hair yes. and I, I don't know but I'm assuming boys do the same thing with things like whose voice has broken whose balls have dropped who's yes. got underarm hair who's got pubes etc yeah uh, but with women girls is particularly when I was younger it was like a race a race to the top like and yeah. if, if you got it over the weekend you'd come in on the Monday like oh my god I got my period yes I'm a woman yes so and you'd be excited <laughs> until your mom told you that you're going to get them for 30 years and then you'd be like oh fuck yeah yeah not so excited now I don't know I think it was like I don't think I necessarily had I didn't have any education on them and this is, this is, we'll get on to the sex education in a second and, you know, body and health or whatever, but like not having sex. I learned so much from like Ms. Magazine. Yes. And Kiss. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Bit of Ms. Magazine. Four fucking pounds. My mother was not happy. And it was teaching me all the signs, all the signs that the boys like you. I was literally only talking about this last night with um, people on the internet. And I was like, we're looking for signs. But this girl was like, I mean, I nearly died. She was like, men can't even read signs. What makes you think that they'll be able to lay them down? No, very she true. Was, I was just like, lol. Very true. So true. So like, all these magazines, I was saying like, all this magazine was telling me how to read the signs that a boy likes you. And not like, here's how to have an uncomfortable conversation and ask the boy, does he like you or not? Yeah. But no, it was telling you like, is he calling you a whore and pulling your hair? That means he'll probably maybe like you. You should hang in there. Yeah. So teaching you how to read abuse as love, basically. But anyway, I digress. So when it comes to sex education, oh yeah, my story was this boy who will rename nameless was like, so why do you use tampons? And we were like, why do you think we use tampons? Now we didn't weren't using tampons, but we were just having a discussion. And he was like, I don't know, for sexual pleasure. And we were like, ew, no. And it just is indicative of the fact that no education, you know, like just completely demonstrates that there was no education. And we, I personally never had a sex talk or uh, talk about periods. I don't know, maybe we did in like CSPE until, um, but I really don't remember it. My entire school life, I didn't have one. But anyway, so... Um, yeah so mine would have been slightly different I went to a convent school and even though it was a convent school in sixth class um, when we were 12 they spoke to us about puberty mm. and there was a very brief point made about periods that they are something that happens to all women um, and that this is how you deal with them mm-hmm. you get a pad or you get a tampon um, mainly pads I'm not going to lie they weren't big on talking about the tampons mm-hmm. but that was in um, sixth class and then one one went again in fourth year in transition year in, in secondary school. We got another talk about periods um, and STIs. 
but that was yes. it. Um, there was no, there was no real talk about the biological reasoning behind periods. Mm-hmm. There was no talk about, you know, this is your uterus preparing for a baby or anything like that. It was just like, uh, you're going to bleed there. Um, and this is how you deal with it. Yeah. Um, what's interesting, I think, is that uh, when you when you think about Ireland in particular, we didn't have any relationship or sex education until 1985. Yes. And Tina and I were trying to work out. And I'm really bad at maths, but we were trying to work out. So if you were in school in 1985, that means that you had to have been born in the early 70s, late yes. 60s, early 70s. So yeah. that would make you in your 40s um, now. Mm-hmm. And that I would say that a vast majority of those um, Tampax uh, complaints came from women over 40. Yes. And part of that is because when you don't talk about something um you get a, a stigma of shame around it. And from 1985 onward, uh, the Catholic Church vehemently opposed sex education. Um, so much so that um, in 1993, uh, there was a Stay Safe program, which was aimed at kind of preventing child abuse. And it was the idea was that it was going to teach children the names for their body parts and that people, apart from you, shouldn't touch your body without your permission. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was um, conservative parents groups um, who lobbied the government. There was a um, mother and child campaign who are essentially youth defense, who we remember from the from the abortion referendum, mm-hmm. who said that um, the the resources for this kind of stay safe program were pornographic, that resources aimed at children between the ages of five and ten were pornographic just for teaching them the proper names for their bodies mm-hmm. and that People shouldn't touch you if you don't want them to. Yeah. And they actually, this went on for years. Okay. So in 2007, there was an extensive, extensive report done by Trinity College Dublin. And they found that in over 50% of schools, fifth and sixth years had received and were not receiving any sex education in clear defiance of the Department of Education rules. In 2007. In 2007. Um, in 2010, another report had found that almost 74% of young people received little or no sex education. The main, the main way that, that, that uh, teenagers learn about sex now is, uh, and even when I was younger, before the, the real internet age, was biology. Mm-hmm. It was biology class teaching you that, you know, um, a sperm and an egg meet and they make a zygote and that zygote keeps dividing until, until you have a baby, yeah. essentially. And that was it. Um, there is and there is not unless your teacher is very clued in. There is never any mention of any kind of LGBTQ um, yes. sex education. And there is no mention that sex is for pleasure. Yeah. Um, like we need to teach young people um, about sex, about that. It, it can be pleasurable. It should be pleasurable. If it's not pleasurable, you shouldn't be doing it. There's something mm-hmm. wrong there. Because what we have is we have generation upon generation of of girls and boys who believe on the side of the boys that sex is somehow their right, mm-hmm. that girls are, um, I lo- there's a fantastic quote from Sylvia Plath and it says, girls are not kindness machine, girls are not machines that you put kindness coins into until sex falls out. Nice. And it is so true because boys, because they're not educated about it, they do not understand the effect that sex has on them mm-hmm. and on girls. Um, and I I think that I could probably count on one hand the amount of my friends who do not regret their first uh, sexual experience. Yeah. And that's saying something, you know, mm-hmm. um, 
the the way that we in the media and and online and and everything the way that they that, that children nowadays learn about sex is so it it's so superlative it's this idea that the woman should be bouncing off the walls she's so excited yeah and the men should yeah. be giving it to her non-stop <laughs> and, and this kind of porn real porn they, they, they thought teaching children between five and ten the proper names for their 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 bits was pornographic yeah no what's pornographic is how they learn about it now but i had i actually have a friend who no it wasn't a friend yes it was a friend but I'll just change the story. This this story you didn't listen, you didn't hear that. Anyway, we let it out. There's a child who I'm familiar with. Does that that sounds worse? <laughs> I know this child. <laughs> I know this child who was caught caught watching like porn. Nine years of age, ten years of age, um, and it's like this access to that kind of material is incredibly harmful, and. Um, yeah, it's just like I remember when I was in like my 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 biology teacher was also my religion teacher and she was like we were like doing the sex education or whatever and she was just like this is the penis vagina and then she was reading and then there was an, a a thing on orgasm and I've never heard a woman read as fast ever in my entire life she's like it was like when father ted when he was trying to say that mass really quickly to get home to that sexy nun oh yeah and like and i i'm in sixth class i raised up my hand i was to my irish teacher at the time miss ryan and i was just like ah mess and she was like what because she hated me and I was like, mess, why am I 18 and I've never had a sex talk? And her answer was, because we are a Catholic school. And I was shocked. I was actually shocked because I really didn't think. I was like, what do you mean you're a Catholic school? She was like, we don't believe in promoting sex. I was like, there's a 15 year old girl. Pregnant. Pregnant. Me. Yeah. Downstairs. Maybe if you taught her about sex. She wouldn't be pregnant right now. Literally hundreds of studies. They have done hundreds of studies in Ireland, England, France, America, Australia, all what we would consider kind of modern developed countries that say that the better the sex education is, the least, the less teen pregnancies you have, the less teen STIs you have, the less teen rape you have, Mm -hmm. because they understand that sex is not something that you just do willy nilly because the boy asks you to, or for the case of boys, which I feel we should talk about the pressure from other boys. Like if you're 15 and a virgin and and a boy, like you hide that, you hide that fact because you don't want people to mock you because of it, which is ridiculous. Like, we we speak about um consent a lot in 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 modern Ireland and and we speak about you know particularly with college students and this idea that um can she consent if she's if she's demented or can he consent if he's if he's langers mm-hmm. um and and we find again and again and again that there the reason behind this this stupid idea that uh, can she consent when she's demented she said yes that 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 she's not in her right mind or he is not in his right mind and if you take advantage of that then you raped that person mm-hmm. you sexually assaulted that person and the lines are so blurred that yeah. stupid robin thick song the lines are so blurred between yeah. what is acceptable and what's not acceptable is because nobody has ever sat these young people down and said this is what 
is acceptable. Yeah. This is not acceptable. And we do see, you know, media print advertising and we do see radio advertising that talks about if a person is um is is intoxicated that that that's not consent. But I think that if you spoke to the vast majority of college students, they would tell you that the only time they have sex is is when they're intoxicated. Yeah. A lot of people. A lot of people. But um yeah, I think that I do feel that there's a lot of different branches that you could get into here now and um, uh, bringing it back though to the Tampax ad, I think the takeaway from this conversation and this whole situation is like the, this is a, it's like in your own life when you find the areas that you've been triggered, those are the things that you need to work on to really start on the healing process it doesn't serve us as a society as a culture to shame the women who are ashamed it is better to investigate why these women are so ashamed of this and that the the reasons behind that shame brings us into a huge historical so uh, so and social social um analysis basically and i think if we if we think about ireland and we think about the fact that just for example marital rape was only made a crime in 1996 yeah. you couldn't get a restraining order against your violent husband until the 90s we didn't have divorce until the 90s yeah and how far we have come as a society mm-hmm. and how to be fair the vast majority of, of irish people as we proved with the abortion referendum mm-hmm. are liberal at heart yeah we were the first country to um, legalize gay marriage by popular vote the first country to legalize abortion by popular vote and everybody the media was telling us it's going to fail it's going to fail the, the the rural city divide is too big the old and young divide is too big but it was the stories it was mm-hmm. the human stories of people saying you know i had to travel my baby died etc mm-hmm. and when we think about we are failing our young people again and again with this crap sex education mm-hmm. and this crap around the shame around periods we have come a long way from um, no sex education and abstinence only education and we need to just go that bit further we mm-hmm. need to go that bit further where we're actually teaching young people about things like lgbtq sex um consent about you know even even the, the idea we'll say that um that that uh, you know teenagers are all outriding one another they're actually not mm-hmm. they're genuinely not like a lot it of it hasn't teenage... become easier to have sex no, no. exactly people you are know? still like hyper insecure exactly and anxious about, about their like... bodies and about their and it's like will they reject me uh, uh, uh. exactly and yeah. i just think that in in the ireland that we live in now our education system needs to catch up it's with so our liberal yeah. society. Yeah, yeah, it's it's that simple because I think everybody for from outside of Ireland and you're listening to this, you're probably thinking, Jesus, what's going on over there? But if you're Irish, you know what I'm talking you're about. You're definitely saying that too. You're like, Jesus Christ, yeah. what are they doing? Yeah, in that accent, <laughs> in that exact accent. But I, I think if, if you're Irish and you have kids um, who are growing up now, you don't want them to receive the same shoddy education mm-hmm. around your body that you received. Yeah. And I don't think that that should be as big of a deal as it as it is at the moment. No, yeah. You know, they promised a review in 2007. They promised another review in 2012. And and even now, if you look, if, if you have teenagers at home or even children in primary school, look at their relationship education books mm-hmm. and look how crap they are. Yeah. Because they are crap. Yeah. I mean... 
they're the, the, the whole thing needs to come back to like boundaries and boundary workshops and understanding boundaries and mental health and really digging up these conditioning this old conditioning that we have yeah that is and and this is how I'm, I, I like to approach these subjects as well just for anyone who's listening it's like we look at the things that bubble up to the surface and through those things we go and educate and 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 explore them so that's kind of the approach as well so yeah i think that's everything we wanted to talk about um thank you so much for listening thanks for so much for listening i'm just going to at the end here just mention the point of intersection so if you're still listening thank you um but also the point of intersection was um which was mary kenny the african-american woman who was denied the um, patent. The patent. So why that's so, when we talk about feminism, it's usually, you have to talk about it in an in inter- intersectional way. Otherwise, it's just serving one class of women, which tends to be... White women. White women. Middle white, class. Middle class, rich white women. Um, that So she was a woman, number one, and she was... Uh, uh, an African-American black woman, woman from North Carolina during Jim Crow, 1956, no civil rights, the no The level, vote. the layers of just discrimination. discrimination there are just massive. Her family were inventors. She, yeah. Her sister invented things, her father invented things, but she came up with this excellent, to be fair, excellent idea which which um kind of kind of links in with the whole working women in america the mm-hmm. idea that you know you couldn't stay at home on your period you had to go out and do things yeah and she had a, a brilliant idea and the company were really interested in her patent and then as soon as they found out she was african-american they like, just yeah. walked away from her yeah um and they would have made like obviously that's terrible and i don't feel sorry for that company i feel sorry for mary kenny but they would have made millions yeah billions from her invention and instead it was put in a patent drawer and she went back to North Carolina and invented some other things, but nothing that was as big as the, and could have been as big as the pad belt. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, and until next time. Welcome back. We have got a great show for you today. So, tell me, how many of you ever feel your tampon? You shouldn't. It might mean your tampon isn't in far enough. you got to get them up there, girls. Example, our special Tampax Pearl Compact Grip Design is your guide to comfort. Just pull it, lock it, and put it in. Not just the tip, up to the grip. So get them up there, girls, with Tampax. Do it for comfort.